Welcome to the Pre-Health Pod. My name is Lexi. And I'm Sarah. And we're a podcast by students for students who've been through undergrad, are going through application processes, and are here to meet you wherever you are. We're so excited to have Danny Pace, a, one of my friends and pre-med students from Arizona State University, actually join us on this episode today. And we're going to do an entire episode all about pre-med stories and you know, just kind of chat about what we went through in undergrad and maybe some things we wished were different. Danielle Pace is a current master's of sociology student at Ghent University with a focus on international policy research. She graduated from Arizona State University with her bachelor's in biological sciences in French. Her research pertains to accessible higher education for students with disabilities and she's currently applying to medical school for the 23 to 24 cycle. Please welcome Danny Pace. So excited to have you join us. Yeah, um, I'm so happy that you're here. And I can't wait to talk all about your pre-med experiences. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I loved listening to the podcast. And Lexi and I go back from our time at ASU in the solar program. So it's been really nice to kind of catch up with everybody and listen to you guys' podcast. Yeah. And I wanted to start off with our first question just for you and your experience in undergrad and being pre-med. But before I do that, what is your why medicine? Actually, my why medicine, it really just came from my family. I know a lot of pre-meds are like, say, to just help people and stuff like that, which is a great why medicine. But for me, it actually came from my family and from my sister. My sister has a disability where she's physically and mentally disabled. So I really fell in love with medicine because of my family. You see how much research went into diagnosing her and how many doctors we went to. And I really fell in love with just the process of going through and seeing and figuring out why something happens to somebody and how doctors think through their problems. I really enjoy medicine just to get to the root of the issue. So I think that's my main why medicine. Yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. I think that is something that I love about it too, that every patient is like an, a new investigation and you yep. really have to like dig through all of the information to figure out what's going on and why it's happening. It's something that is going to constantly keep you stimulated throughout your entire career. Yeah, it keeps you interested, but also you get to see it from both the patient side and also from the doctor's side. And I know a lot of doctors, for them, it's really hard for them to understand what the patient is going through, but like what makes a really good doctor is being able to empathize with your patient while also like being able to break it down in a way that they understand what's going on. And I think with a lot of my sister's doctors, they also involved me as my sister's like younger sister to break it down for me because I was young at the time when everything was happening. So it really made me feel like I want to be seen in the way that they saw me and saw my family. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. What a great story. And I love everything you said about what you went through with your physicians and how that sort of inspired you to go into medicine. You know, I've definitely have similar experiences and Sarah and I, as well as a lot of the big reasons why we want to go into medicine too, is what's happened to our families and um, what's been going on in our relationships too. So again, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, 
when you were talking about like being able to break it down for your patients as a physician, I think that's so important. And it's been like a major theme for me, like my applications. And I got it mainly from solar. I don't know if you have any, if you thought about that. So for those of you who don't know, solar is a research scholars program. It's called the School of Life Sciences Undergraduate Research Program at Arizona State. If you have an opportunity to join any similar program like that, whether research or pre-med related, it's like a group of students who can come together and talk about their research. That's what we did. And I loved it so much because one of the big topics that we did was just how to break down your research for people of any background to understand. And me being like a first generation student, none of my family knew what I was doing. (laughs) And I had to really, really break it down. But I think it translates so well into medicine too. And like being a physician and able to explain very complex diagnoses at times with your patients. Exactly. And solar is exactly how I like met Lexi. And her research is completely different from my research that we did in undergraduate. And being able to kind of bridge that gap because I did disability education research and she did more microbiology. It's completely different fields, but solar really teaches you how to break it down for different audiences. And so it also makes you want to understand it more thoroughly and you understand your research more thoroughly because you're learning how to break it down and explain it to others so that they can understand, which I think is super valuable for medicine because a lot of doctors will give their patients just the baseline, what the base medical information but they don't know how to explain it so that the patient understands what they're going through, what's happening to their body. And I think it's such a valuable skill to have just that general communication. I know I'm so thankful for that program, like a lot, because it's just really helped me do a lot of introspection um, into why I was doing my research and the bigger picture rather than like, you know, you kind of get wrapped up in your lab and like, oh, I have this experiment. And especially for me with my molecular biology research, it's very like minute and Um, Exactly. You get so like broken down into the project. Like I was investigating a very specific protein system in a bacterium. But what the bigger picture is, is how can we develop like alternative treatments or could this be a potential target of tuberculosis, like the second leading infectious cause of death in the world. So when you look at it in the bigger picture and look at it from all sides, it's super important for going into medicine. Do the same when you're a physician. You have to look at a diagnosis from all sides, not just like in the middle or the beginning at the end. Yeah. Something that one of the docs I used to work with said to me once that has always stuck with me is you also have to think about what, what you're saying is going to mean to the patient. Whatever the diagnosis or the treatment plan is, it's going to mean something completely different for whoever you're talking to. And you have to be able to teach them in a way that's going to work with their lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, that's just something that that was making me think about, about how important it is to kind of understand different cultures and backgrounds so that you can find ways to communicate treatments and plans in a way that will make sense to people of all cultures and backgrounds, because it's not going to be a uniform answer for every patient you see. Yeah, that's like perfectly well said, because It's really hard, I think, for some people to break it down and look at things from a bigger picture and how what they're saying is going to affect their patient. It goes like the same with research as well, like what Lexi was saying. If your research is so minute and specific, 
being able to explain to just a general public or somebody from a completely different research field, why does your research matter? Why does what I'm telling you matter? It's yeah. such an important thing to think about, which I really value um, solar a lot because it <laughs> helped me like get That's out of my own head. <laughs> yes. Thank you. She's going to listen to me like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, so where are you joining us from? I'm joining us from Belgium, actually. I just came from a lovely little road trip. I'm trying to take care of my mental health. I've been traveling a bunch. (laughs) And so recovering from the semester and everything. I study in Belgium, in Ghent, Belgium, um, and I'm doing my master's in sociology over here. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so you have to tell me more about this. How did you end up doing a master's program in a different country? How did you get here? Why did you do this? It sounds amazing. Thank you. Honestly, it was quite random. I say random in the sense of a very organized, random, chaotic nature. I was a year in planning, I think, about a year and a half in planning. Right before I started my last year of undergrad, I decided... COVID messed up my schedule for studying abroad. And so I got gotten a scholarship to study abroad in Israel and I hadn't used it. So it carried over to my undergrad and beginning of undergrad, I wanted to study abroad for my master's program. I wanted to do something during my two gap years because I knew I wasn't going to apply to medical school when I was graduating from undergraduate. So I was looking for things to do. And I wanted it to be productive because I was already working in a lab in um, at ASU. And I was also working as a phlebotomist and a lab tech. So I decided, let's go to a different country. I already studied French for eight years. So I wanted to go to a French speaking country, but have kind of a different experience than just going to France. So I was looking for research programs And my undergraduate thesis and research was on accessible education for students with disabilities in undergraduate research and high impact practices in universities across the United States. So I had done a national survey already on high impact practices for students with disabilities. And I wanted to see if I could do that research in a different country and see what programs that they had offered. Um, because primarily my undergrad was specifically STEM focused, but I kind of wanted to branch out into more health policy or education policy. So I found a really nice master's program at Ghent University and I had applied for Fulbright. Lexi and I actually applied to Fulbright. Um, (laughs) and that's how I actually found the university itself. And I found out that that had a really good research program. So I was like, okay, sociology, it's very general, but they have a research focus and a policy focus, which has piqued my interest. Yeah. And yeah, like you can do a dissertation and you work with a professor directly. Belgium seemed like a really good and fun place. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Yeah, like it's really fun. The head of the EU is here in Brussels. So yeah, so it was a connection with the university. I was like, okay. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do the process, cross my fingers, dot my eyes, and hopefully like I'll get in and I'll get like a scholarship or something. Yeah. 
because that was the main thing, like being able to get funding to go and study into a different country, because that's this, the biggest hurdle. But it's a lot cheaper than doing a master's in the U.S. Really? It's a lot cheaper? Yeah, actually, for international students, it really depends. But different countries like Germany or the yeah. Netherlands, it's like discounted for international students. So yeah. I think I pay for people who want to know about studying abroad. And mm-hmm. if you want to do a bachelor's or a master's program abroad, in Belgium, it's about 1500 a year. Mm-hmm. And there's one to two masters. You can either have a one-year master's or a two-year master's. And if you have a one-year master's, but your bachelor's isn't in that subject, yeah, you can do a preparatory program, which is oh a really God. nice thing. Yeah, you just and- unlocked one of my memories. <laughs> when I was <laughs> at the University of Geneva, I was talking to a student and I was asking how much, like a regular student, not a, an exchange student like mm-hmm. me. And she had said, yeah, it costs me $1,200 a year. And I was like, what? <laughs> Must be nice to, ha- to live somewhere where education is valued so highly. wonder yeah. what it's like. <laughs> what a dink! It's just insane. I, I think it's it was really spontaneous. Yeah. Like Lex- kind of like how Lexi described her time in, you were in Switzerland, right? Or Yeah. Yeah. It's just a different experience. Like the education level, the drive mm-hmm. of the students is a lot different. Yeah. And for you in a bigger drive or a lesser drive? It depends because the education is so cheap. Yeah. It gives students more of a choice whether they want to continue education or not. So yeah. it depends what program you're in. If you're in STEM, there's a lot more drive. If you're in like the life sciences or different pathways, you don't see students coming to classes as much. Yeah. Because it is a one exam. It depends on what program you're in, but it's a one exam a semester kind of system, and you don't really have assignments. Or if you do have assignments, it's like one group project, one presentation, nothing too big. Wow. So it it's really different. Wow. And so when you were applying to Fulbright, you made it to like the last round, right? You were semifinalist, but yeah, you would apply for the program at Ghent University. And so you yeah. just applied separately. Yeah. So like Fulbright required me because there was only one scholarship for Ghent University. Right. I had to apply to the program separately through Ghent. Mm. And then I had to apply to Fulbright okay. and then show them my acceptance letter. So I had gotten into the program and I had sent them my acceptance letter and I was already in semifinalist and I got the final round of interviews and everything, but I was still unsure because there's only, I think, yeah, there was only one position available at Ghent. Yeah. And so usually sometimes they prefer more um, science intensive gotcha. programs to give it to. That was the one thing that my interviewer had said that it's uh, up in the air because there's not that many not a lot of funding for Belgium. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's so, so awesome. Yeah. So after you complete your master's program, you then want to go to medical school. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> everybody looks at me really funny here. when I tell them like, I'm coming to Belgium to do sociology, but yeah. I want to go to medical school. Are you going to do it in the U S or are you going to do it somewhere else? So while I'm here, I've been like studying a little bit about their healthcare system Mm. and like how affordable it is and 
Also looking at the medical schools here, I was deciding whether I wanted to do it in Europe or in the U.S. But for me, I think it works out better to go back to the U.S. to do medical school just because I want to work in either Arizona or in a low-income community. Yeah, I think because there's such a good healthcare system here, Mm -hmm. I think I would do my job much better in my local communities and helping other people in the U.S. get access to healthcare. Yeah. So I think I would do my job a lot better in the U.S. No, I definitely get that. There's more of a a need, unfortunately, and frustratingly in the U.S., even though it's the richest country in the the world. Right, (laughs) exactly. Danny, what specialty are you wanting to go into? Do you know yet? I am still deciding. I did my concentration and my bachelor's in neurobiology and behavior and physiology. And I really won for the longest time to just do either orthopedics or neurology. But with the recent like Roe v. Wade and a lot of issues on women's healthcare, I have been a lot more passionate about OBGYN. And there are a lot of women in low-income communities or in minority communities that just need that healthcare and need that help. And a lot of the doctors are kind of getting scared away from that field and that profession. Mm. And I think it would be super important to be able to be an OBGYN, be specialized in that, and kind of be able to be on the front lines in that community. And especially in Arizona too, it's like a big debate and a yeah, lot of the southern states, when like the healthcare laws are changing, I think it's really important for women to be kind of stick together. And especially like female doctors or female OBGYNs are so needed for those communities as well because yeah. they just feel more comfortable. Yeah, wow. absolutely. I have another question for you though. I might get in trouble for this one. Okay. Okay. Danny, have you ever considered being a PA? <gasps> <laughs> I actually have. I see the difference is like, I don't know that many PAs. So I don't know too much about PA school other than what I heard about what you said on the podcast. I know my best friend is applying to PA school next year, but I don't know too much (laughs) about the process and like what it means to be a PA. Yeah. So if you could explain it a little bit more, (laughs) because I would love to hear more about it. Magnifier and Sarah. Sarah, you tell it. I'm going to be honest, Danny, you're giving me like, PA vibes. You seem like the kind of person that would make a great PA. And I think Lexi's going to disagree with me because she (laughs) thinks doctor is the way to go. She is a doctor all the way. I know. I know you think they're better, blah, blah, blah. No, no, I don't think they're better. (laughs) Let's have this debate. Come on, guys. (laughs) But there is a type of person that a good PA is. Mm-hmm. And that person is someone who is like super holistic, super open-minded, someone super willing to work in like rural and underserved communities because that's where most of the PAs end up. Mm-hmm. And someone who's interested in multiple specialties because you get to bounce around and you can be in multiple specialties. And yeah. you have to be someone that can juggle that too, though, because it does require you learning multiple specialties. And you just seem like so smart and put together, passionate and inspired. And when I see those kind of characteristics in a person, I see PA. I'm like, oh, she would be such a good PA. She could go <laughs> change like the world out there as a PA. 
And I know, Lexi, you're going to root for doctors, but I'm just saying maybe you should consider it because the application process is crazy. I'm not going to lie. Every single program you apply to is completely different. So it's a lot more to juggle in that sense, but it's way cheaper. And (laughs) it's way cheaper. And you're done with school in two, sometimes three years, and then you get to start practicing. And honestly, the other thing that I really see in you that would make a good PA is you seem like the kind of person that works really well on a team and works really well with others. And being an, a PA really requires that because at the end of the day, you are working under a doctor and you have to be someone super reliable that they can trust and depend on. And I don't know, you just seem like that kind of person. But go off, Hi. Lexi. Tell me why I'm wrong. Danny <laughs> is a world leader. She is like a natural born leader. Time out. Yeah. (laughs) Why can't a PA be a world leader? Because when you're a physician, you have more autonomy. And at the end of the day, it's you. If something goes wrong, it's you. You got to take care of it. And you got to take care of your patient. And a PA doesn't? They get to just walk away? If there's like something going wrong with your patient and it's your patient, your PA is assisting you at the end of the day, it's up to the the physician. Mm -hmm. To like make the decision. What what happened to teamwork and collaboration? Well, I don't know. I'm not a doctor yet, but <laughs> we need a we need a physician on here as a PA and a PA on their team. Um, yeah, but- I would love to hear about like the physician like PA dynamic because yeah, what I've learned like in my shadowing stuff like the physician assistant has self-autonomy, but they still report to the main physician, which I think was the main reason why I went MD route and like in terms of applying. So I kind of see both sides of it, but I feel like a physician assistant also has a better work-life balance. That's true. And I've been debating it and I just don't know as much about the process as I do like the MD route. I'm currently applying for the MD-PhD so that's, I'm yeah, doing that's, a combined program. That's another thing too, I was actually going to know and ask you about, because I know you were applying to MD-PhD because that's something, I mean, you can't really do that route with a PA. You can do PA-PhD? Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. There's what not as many, PhD? there's not as many programs out there, but they still exist. They're becoming more popular. Dang. Oh my gosh. I well, I'm just that. wrong. <laughs> over here that's insane I didn't know like you can't you do this do... you can't do that and you're like yeah you can like, yeah, you can. Well. yeah. That, I mean that's why I'm so pro PA like the field is expanding it's growing it's incredible I mean yeah. I see the flaw in PAs if you get the wrong person in there taking care of people I totally yeah. see the flaw but admissions processes are doing such a good job at weeding people out yeah uh, it's becoming it's less of an issue honestly like this mm-hmm. The application process is so competitive and they work really hard to make sure that they're getting people who know how to take care of patients already. That's why patient care experience is such a high priority for all these programs. So you're, if you're a PA, PhD, are you technically a doctor, but you're not the medical doctor? You're the yeah. PhD. Oh, doctor. wow. Isn't yeah. that kind of weird? <laughs> That's so I- weird. Knew a PA PhD who I used to work with, and she didn't call herself doctor because sometimes it confused people, and she just got sick of it. And she was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm just I need to make up a name. I'm just Jackie." <laughs> She's like, "Hi, I'm Jackie." 
I have a question for you because like, yeah, for applying to medical school, some of the schools required, I don't know if you know the Casper test. Yeah. And I don't know, does, do PA schools also require like a similar test or the same test? Only a couple of them. I only had to take the Casper for one of the programs I applied to out of the, I think I applied to 13. Yeah. So not all of them require Casper. Some of them encourage it. They tell you like, Hey, this will make you stand out as an applicant if you took this test. So I did send my scores to multiple schools that said that what's going to be crazy is next year because they keep talking about how they're changing the application process for the PA schools to start to include things like Casper and actually require the PCAT. And they're going to make the application process even harder, honestly. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But I guess they had to do it. So (laughs) it is a shorter amount of school. Like you have to learn things a lot faster. So you have to make sure you're pulling people that can handle that. That's Mm -hmm. so intense, honestly. Yeah. We got to get a PA on here. I've like, well, we have the PA program director, but he's still an MD. Like we need a, a PA on this podcast. I agree. I, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about pre-med challenges and going back to your undergrad. And a lot of our audience are pre-med, pre-PA students. And I think it's important to talk about that. Um, but if you could go back were there any challenges that you remember being pre-med? In undergrad or yeah. just in general? You can say in general, honestly, because it extends after undergrad nowadays. Honestly, I think the most difficult thing about being pre-med is that you're competing with your friends. I think what people fail to recognize sometimes about doing like the medical pathway is that it is as much a group effort as it is like an individual effort. Like who you surround yourself with really shape your experience as a pre-med in your undergraduate career. Mm. It's super competitive, which it has a right to be, but it really takes a toll on your mental health. I had a lot of my pre-med friends that I don't talk to anymore because it's a lot of not bad blood, I would say, just more of kind of secrecy and hiding experiences and opportunities Toxic from each other. Exactly. We talk about this. <laughs> I'm trying exactly. to stop this. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessary because yeah. for me, my mentality is I want to uplift other pre-meds because we need more doctors. Yeah. We need more qualified people who have empathy and who want to work together because it's not, when you go and become a doctor, I think sometimes in the medical field, it becomes really individualistic, but mm-hmm. it really is like a team effort. Like you're working with nurses, you're working with other residents, you're working with interns, you're working with medical students, current MDs who have been in the field for so long. It's not an individual event. And I think in undergraduate, people just frame it that way as it's being singular, like singularly, sorry, singularly. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> the jet lag is really hitting me oh my god yeah I I feel like it should be more of a collective effort yeah and that hit me the most in my undergrad and that was I think my toughest along with doing all of the extra experiences I think I like Lexi did and I'm sure Sarah also did 
juggling all of that. You need to get experience, but also do your coursework, but also do research and do shadowing and kind of make yourself a well-rounded individual. Right. But it was a lot of learning. Okay. I want to be a well-rounded individual, but I also want to experience and explore different things. Not only try different types of research, look at different clubs, what makes me passionate and what makes me want to go into medicine, which is finding out where I fit in. And I think that was the hardest. No, I definitely relate to that. And I tell like my pre students all the time, you know, it's okay if your application looks a little bit all over the place during the first two years. Like I was that way doing several experiences, trying to see what I really liked, what hospital I liked working at, maybe what research lab. I did get very lucky with my research lab. Like I was able to, I really liked the project I was working on Mm -hmm. since the beginning, but I've had peers who were like, I didn't like the lab I was working in. So I switched halfway through and that's okay. You know, like give yourself some grace. (laughs) Seriously. Trying different things. And as long as you have, at least later in your undergrad, some Mm -hmm. of that commitment to at least a couple experiences. And also if you need to take more time after undergrad, take a gap year, get some work experience, work full time. Like that's also okay. It's not like taking a gap year after high school. And I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but I've had family members be like, if you take a gap year, you'll never go back to school. And it's just not that way with pre-med or medical school because you're Mm -hmm. still doing stuff. Like in my two gap years, I was taking my MCAT and applying for medical school and fulfilling some last minute um, prerequisites. And it still never ends. It's not like a true gap year where I get to sit by the pool. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I just want to add with toxic pre-meds, toxic pre-PAs are just as much of an issue. And I think something we all have to be aware of is that we have to consciously battle this every single day. You can't just like block them out. You can't just ignore them. They're in every single class you take. And if you can't beat them, you got to like try to persuade them. Something that (laughs) I used to do that I think it helped. Honestly, I made a lot more friends when I started doing this. I got promoted to being like, they called it the chief scribe, but basically I was just the manager of the scribes Mm -hmm. at my hospital. Yeah. And so when I started meeting pre-meds or pre-PAs or people that were just like kind of interested in healthcare, I'd ask them like, oh, are you doing anything cool? And if they didn't really have anything cool going on, I'd be like, well, I'm managing all these scribes out at this site. If you want a job, I'll give you one. Yeah. Just I'll give you a job. You want to come get some experience in an emergency department? You want to see what it's like? I'll give you a job. Yeah. Just come interview and I'll make sure you get it. Honestly, we need more scribes and I'd right. love to have you join. And by doing that, I made a lot of friends because they realized that I was nice and I wasn't oh going gosh. to hide opportunities or even just like compete with grades and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, yeah, I think you would be a great healthcare provider. Let me know if I can do anything to help you. And I actually got an email from someone that I gave a job to last week. And they were like, hey, I'm thinking about going into PA now. They had originally decided they were going to go into medical sales. And he was like, I know you had a spreadsheet that had like all the PA schools on it with all their different requirements. Is there any chance you'd share that with me? I was like, yes, absolutely. Here's the spreadsheet. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's well, because so why nice. are we why are we keeping these a secret? Why are we holding these yeah. things to ourselves? Exactly. I paid five dollars for that spreadsheet. I will give it to anyone who needs it. I don't care. And also, I want you yeah. to succeed. Yeah. When it comes to medical schools too, honestly, 
it's so competitive, but you still apply to so many different schools. Like I'm sure every student has a, just a different diverse school list. I apply to schools mm-hmm. everywhere. And with that said, you know, honestly, you're not really competing with your friends in that way because there's just so many different options. And yeah, um, 60% of people don't get into medical school like every year, but you know, per school, that doesn't mean people like don't get into school. And I know like different class sizes, they like take 1% and it's really not like that. It's not as competitive as you really think. It's still competitive, but yeah, like each school just like takes so many different people. You're not really competing with the person right next to you at your school. Yeah. That makes sense. And you don't have to yeah. think about them as competition either. If anything, you can think about them as a resource. Yeah. That could be someone that you need in 10 years because now they're an OBGYN and you're working in the ER and you need an OB consult and you knew them because you went to undergrad with them and you were nice. So good thing yeah. you were nice because now you need that consult. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super valuable. Yeah, seriously. Uplift each other. Don't be mean. Stop holding resources from each other. Like Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> These could be your future co-workers. Be nice. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna ask you the next question. Do we have time? We have time. Yeah. Why not? It's our podcast. We do what we want. Yes. So, Danny, what do you think we should change about the pre-med process? Ooh, I think that's a super tough question. I know. Oh. Because there's too many things to change. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, for me, I feel like I would love more consolidated information. Yeah. I think there were a lot of opportunities that I just had no idea about until it was too late. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, especially in the beginning of like undergrad, at least for ASU, I didn't really feel like the pre-health office was that helpful because they weren't really run by people who are in, who did pre-health or any of that. It was a lot of people from other departments running it. And I think that's the one thing I would change is yeah. just the consolidated information of pre, like, what is pre-health? What is the pathway? What are your options? Like, I totally didn't know that there were universities that have, like, if you go to them, you go directly into medical school, you can go directly yeah. into medical school without taking the MCAT. Like, if yeah, I had that information, yeah. I would have totally I know. done that. Tell me yeah. about that. Like, I would have dropped out immediately. <laughs> I just transferred. That. Yeah. Senior year, who got into SUNY, and I was like, wait, how did you know already? And she was like, I applied freshman, sophomore year. And it's one of those like flex med types of programs where it's like early assurance you just get. And I was like, what? what? Yeah, I didn't know that. And I was like, I wish I knew it because like the flex med program, early assurance, no yeah. idea. Did not find out till again, like senior, junior, senior year until it was yeah. too late. Yeah. So anyway, if you're listening to this, go Google some early assurance programs in your area. And oh, you still have time. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of New York like schools do them. But yeah. also like for high school students who are listening and are interested in pre-health, yeah. Drexel University has one. I think also Temple University. There are a yeah. bunch on the East Coast that do like a five-year program or you do your bachelor's and then you go into starting medical school. Yeah. Yeah, Lapointe you know, those are has actually... one for PA school also. 
the BAMD programs are actually like, they're like closing a lot of them now. Um, yeah. Like I learned this through my company that I work for that a lot of them are shutting them down mainly because they're just so young. Like you apply when you're 16, like 16 or 17, you know, and you got to know and pretty much like craft an application similar to medical school at the personal statement and good SAT scores and all that stuff. And so anyway, no pressure, honestly, if you're a high school student and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to apply to this program. Many people get into medical school the normal way. (laughs) Also, if you want other opportunities like studying in Europe, they do a combined bachelor's program. So if you want to do your bachelor's abroad and stuff and but are interested in medicine, you can apply to those programs. It's a six-year program. Mm-hmm. You do your bachelor's and then you'll do an exam or you do an exam to get in. And then you can get, they call it a master's of medicine, but it's basically a doctorate. And Whoa. you can practice abroad and then take your boards to go to the US. So it just depends. So if you're interested in doing medicine in Europe, that is also an option. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Definitely. So I love that you said pre-health advisor. (laughs) Don't even get me started, Danny. (laughs) I created the national pre-health community was because of that. Please get started because that's a conversation that needs to be had. Here is my proposal. I actually had a conversation with ASU Career Services recently, and they had absolutely no idea that people were like, yeah, the pre-health advising sucks. Like I even um, texted one of my friends who's in medical school and I was like, Hey, I was thinking of using the personal statement, like review from the pre-health advisor office. What do you think? And she was like, don't even bother. (laughs) Like they'll just give you bad advice. And then when I had my meeting with them, um, I decided to do it anyway, just to see, Mm -hmm. I gave them my personal statement and they were like, it looks fine. And I was like, well, I'm, there's always room for improvement. Like, tell me, what do you think? What would you change? Or tell me it's perfect, not fine. <laughs> well, she did say it looked really good, but she said she had no notes and didn't want to change anything. And then I sent it to my physician mentor and was like, no, you got to change this. No, you got to reorder this. You got to do this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, like, they have no idea what what is medical school. What is the application process? Because they yeah. haven't gone through it. Yeah. Right. And I actually want to do a study. This is like going to be my project I was going to do after the conference is over. By the way, if you came to the National Pre-Health Conference, we hope you loved it. I'm so tired. <laughs> and it was a really great turnout in over 1,500 people, but on to the next. Anyway, I think I want to put together like a, a survey and send it out to like all of the ASU pre-meds I know and get like a good sample size, an intense survey, like asking them their advice in the pre-health advising. Cause I say all of these things and I tell these people, but I want data. Yeah. I, wanna, I like, think it's necessary. And it's Dr. Crow. <laughs> yeah. I hate pre-health advising. I hate them everywhere. I had horrible experiences with them at ASU. And now that my sister is going to UCF, she came home from her like pre-health orientation advising big conference thing she went to with this paper full of prerequisites. And I was looking through it and I was like, these aren't even it. These aren't the prereqs. Anatomy isn't even on here. And there's something called zoology. You don't need (laughs) zoology. Why would this be on the prereq list? This is getting insane. The fact that on both coasts, Finding just 
absolute bullshit. Right. What is going on? And why can't we just synchronize this and give everyone the same list? Why can we not collaborate in this way? There's even like this organization called NAAHP. Love you guys. I spoke to their board member this past weekend. Go off, Sarah. And I was talking to him about how this is getting out of hand. Like, this is so ridiculous. The fact that I was a student who joined this organization and we are the ones telling other students what they need to know when you exist. Your organization exists to teach advisors how to teach students. What are you doing? You're doing this wrong. Love mm-hmm. you guys. We're going to try to fix you. I think that's my new life plan is I'm going to work with them to make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah. I don't know. It just, I can't anymore. You can't trust them. That's my piece of advice. Don't trust your pre-health advisors. Make sure you're checking what they tell you because yeah. it doesn't seem to be right. Do your I'm own gonna, research. I'm actually um starting a mentorship program soon. Heads up for the national pre-health community where actual medical students, because oftentimes even physicians are a little outdated on the medical school application process. And we'll get some PAs in this too. We're going to fix this, you guys. And if you want to help me, email me. Or if you want to share your story <laughs> on how your pre-health advising sucks, please, I want to hear about it. Email me at mphc at nationalprealthconfconf.org. I am sick of it. We are going to change it. And we are going to get people more confident about their career paths and becoming pre-med and pre-PA and doctors. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a pre-health advisor, it's probably not your fault. So I'm not coming at you. I'm coming at the idea of you (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's probably probably not not. your fault. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Our complaints, they just keep going. So you're in the current application process. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I'm in the current awesome. application process. I just went to Germany yesterday to take my MCAT again. Oh my God. Yeah. How was that? Because I know, tell, tell us your story. Tell us what happened. So I wanted to retake my MCAT, but I am abroad. I could only go to international locations. So I had signed up for the MCAT in the UK in May and I took it in May. Yeah. And I was informed within a couple weeks, two weeks that I had my MCAT invalidated because Whoa. during the first part of my exam, so during the chemistry section, my exam had shut off or the computer had shut off. And I was kind of freaking out because I didn't know like what would happen if I can still take it. And so I had asked the assistant to help me with my exam because I had missed a couple minutes. Like the exam didn't turn back on or anything. And I had to wait for them to log back into the computer. So for those who don't know, like it's in this Pearson test center and there are a couple locations. And when you go for your MCAT, it's a big process. There are cameras, um, they do your fingerprint scan. It's a big thing. Yeah. But she said that everything was fine. So I continued. I took the exam seven hours later, I went home and I had paid a lot to like go there and get it done and taken because there are no locations in Belgium Mm -hmm. and there were no dates in Paris for taking the MCAT. So I had to go to the UK. Wow. So I come home a week later, I find out like my exams under investigation. It was a big thing. I also had to take exams in June for my master's program. So I was working on that. And then he informed me that I need so 
the AMC reached out to me and was like, hey, there was a technical error with your exam. Your exam scores are invalidated, so you're not going to get it. And you'll have to retake it somewhere else. Oh my God. So, and I had already planned vacation with my family in July and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I had just come back from vacation with my family. I had taken my MCAT prep books, had to restudy. I can't. I'm stressing out, like just hearing this. <laughs> it was so stressful <laughs> when I tell you I was sweating so much. My family had come and I hadn't seen them in months. And so I can't really reschedule that. So I brought my books with me on vacation. We went to the UK for my uncle's 90th. And I wish there was a MCAT location like available or an appointment available in the UK mm-hmm. while I was there, but there wasn't. Yeah. So I left the UK early and went to Germany. Yeah. Stayed there for a couple of days. And I think, what is it? It was Saturday. I took the MCAT again. And luckily nothing else went wrong, but it's been a stressful like exam and application season to say the least. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. So you took that it yesterday? sucks. Yeah. I took it yesterday. Wow. Well, thanks for joining us on your day after. Thank that you. It was either- so bad. Yeah. It was so bad. That's like the worst MCAT story I've ever had. And I people like people have thrown up next to me. <laughs> no, no way. Oh yeah. Like, and you too, Sarah, like crying uncontrollably, just, (laughs) oh my God. It it was a mess because like I had planned it in a way that like I'd have my applications done in May. I submit first week of June and I'd have my exam scores back and everything. Yeah. But now I have to wait. I already submitted my applications. Mm -hmm. So now I just have to wait for these scores and it is what it is at this point. It shouldn't be normal. Honestly, having such a big thing come down to one day like this should not be normal. And I want to tell everybody that it's an unfortunately an important metric for getting into medical school, but it should not define you. Nowadays, it doesn't determine how great of a doctor you will be or how great of a medical student you will be. You don't even have to get that high of a score. Because it's supposed to show how well you will do on step one and step two in medical school. And you don't even have to get that high of a score to like show medical schools that, you know, you got it, like you can do well in their schools. And even GPA more so shows that because it shows growth and you have more opportunity to like recover and take your classes and exams. And I just want to say that because I just like, even for me, for the, and I don't know any pre-med student who was like, yeah, the MCAT was easy or yeah, I took it and I knew I do well. Like every single person, even who got like really high scores, they're like, I got lucky. Every person I asked, I'm like, what did you do? And they were like, I don't know. I just kind of, I think I just got lucky with the questions that day. And I just think that should change. <laughs> like it comes down to luck or just like test day or different questions that you have. And it is standardized, but it doesn't feel that way. No, I totally agree with you. Like, not everybody works the same way the MCAT is designed. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, uh, my biggest hurdle wasn't the material, it was just staying focused because yeah. my mind can't be, I need more breaks than that. Mm-hmm. Seven hours of exam with 10 minutes in between and a 30 minute break, that's a lot because you're going through so much information, you're reading the passages. 
I just want to say to all the pre-meds listening, it's important to understand that the MCAT isn't designed for everybody. It's designed for some certain types of people. And for me, I had such difficulty preparing for it because for me, content is important, but also just understanding and knowing how to answer those questions and practicing that. Like half of the battle was just making sure I read the question right. (laughs) Isn't that just crazy? Exactly. I didn't read it. I didn't actually read it. I was fortunate to have like a mentor um, who helped me prepare for the MCAT. And honestly, all of our meetings that we had together wasn't even about the content. It was like, when you read this question, what is it asking you? And I'm like, oh, it's asking me this, not this. And it's just, you have to like learn how to take the exam, not just the content itself. So exactly. And like, it's not a memorized exam. It's just like, Mm -hmm. can you read this passage correctly? And can you answer these questions? And do you remember the amino acids? Like, yeah. How can you reason? Like, that's basically how the exam is designed. And Mm -hmm. it's important to just learn the structure and learn the pattern, I think. At least that right. was helpful for myself because if I did so much, the first time I took the MCAT, I did too much content review and not enough practice problems. Yeah. And it really reflected in my exam because it's not just content, it's super strategic in the way they designed it. Yeah. I think when I'm in medical school, I want to change this, but we'll hold off on that until I get in <laughs> somewhere. We'll get in. We we'll get, we'll get in. <laughs> you know, manifestation is very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So how are secondaries going? They're going. Honestly, it's a long process for secondaries, but yeah, I think because like when you apply to medical school, you have to know yourself at least to a certain level. And so yeah. I'm having easier time writing the secondaries because I knew why I wanted to go to these schools and what certain aspects I liked about the schools. For me, the difficult part about secondaries is cutting how much information I can include because it's, yeah. the character limits are so small. I don't know how you feel no. about it. No, I'm the same way. Well, it's just, uh, I'd have similar questions, but then some would be a thousand characters and some would be 500 words. Exactly. And I'd be like, oh, is that something I need to reach for? But I'm always like, well, I should always try to have room to talk more. And it's just really difficult. And I wish there was more of like, <laughs> I hate to say it, like a more standardized secondary, you know, like a lot of these questions are very similar. Can we just mm-hmm. all agree on a set of questions and all within like the same like limit of word limit? And I'm like, you can keep the question, why our medical school? But like the rest of the questions, I don't know. <laughs> That's my view on it. It's also so expensive. I have a question now because PA school secondaries are very much like, I mean, each secondary I got was completely different, except for the question of why you're medical, uh, why you're a PA school. But what I noticed with the questions that were being asked were they were asking questions that were pertinent to their missions and values. Right. So for that reason, I feel like you couldn't stand standardize our secondaries. Is medical school secondaries like that? Or is it really just like a smorgasbord of questions? <laughs> There's definitely that question. That's all the medical schools that, yeah, you probably can't mm-hmm. keep the same. 
But there's also a lot of other questions that are very similar. Like, how will your diversity contribute to the community of our medical school? Or what is your greatest achievement? Those are very similar ones that I've used. Are there any other ones that I'm trying to think of? There is also like, have you grown up in like an underserved community? Or how does your individual, like what you said, like how does your individual diversity contribute to this school specifically? Mm -hmm. Like they want you to answer it to the school, but like overall the questions are like the same. Right. I've had a couple too where it's like, tell us a time where you've been the other, which I thought was a very thought-provoking question. But like a lot of those questions, there are some, yes, that are very specific to medical school, um, but then there are also a lot more that are also quite different. But then again, with each question, I do throw in there like how I tie it into some program or some part of the curriculum that I really like that I'm really interested in mm-hmm. doing. So that's something it's hard. I still think there's just a better way to do secondaries or at least just not nickel and dime you so much. Um, See, that's a point that I can get on board with. Yeah. I feel like it's ridiculous to be paying so much for secondaries like you guys do. Mm-hmm. Like PA secondaries, the most expensive one I've paid for was like 90 bucks. But for the most part, they were like 20 to $30. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me started on the like the prices. My like head is spinning just thinking about it because like I've applied to so many medical schools. Yeah. And so then I just realized like, how much money I'm going to be spending all on also like the secondaries. Yeah. Yep. My budget is in the trash. Like I was doing so well. And now I try to like spend a certain amount each month and I'm like, well, I'm pulling for my savings now. It's horrible. And I like pay for everything myself. I don't rely on my family for anything. I think that's something that we need to change. Or at least can medical schools review our primaries before you send it to everybody? Um, yeah, that's crazy. I'm just like swallowing my money. And I'm I hate sure. that about secondaries. PA schools do the same thing. Like you get your secondary before you even hit submit on your primary. Right. Why? It's ridiculous. <laughs> or Can like, you look at yeah. my primary first. Like, are you kidding me? I hadn't even sent in a secondary yet. And I was like, okay, cool. You're already whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not sure what the money is being used for for my primary versus my secondary because they're the same cost. Yeah, there's no like differentiation or transparency in like where that yeah. money is going because it's like, how do I know that this school is interested in me? Because sometimes you just get secondaries because you submitted an application, like you said, Sarah. Like, I'm like, where is my money going? Because that's $90 per school. Some of them are like 110 for secondaries. Like it's ridiculous. Okay. I heard something. I don't know if this is true, but someone complained to me about this a while ago and I thought it was crazy. I still don't know if it's true though. So don't take my word for it. But they had said that the medical schools and PA schools pay the platform that is taking your primary application to be on their platform. That's why like Texas has a different application because they didn't want to pay. What is your guys' called? AMCAS. AMCAS. They didn't want to pay AMCAS to collect applications for them. So they created their own. So if we're giving X amount of money for the primary, is that money just going to AMCAS? That's also collecting money from the medical school. 
And then the next part where you're paying secondaries, is that money going to the medical school? Is that how this is working? Like, where's the money going? Because it sounds like Amtas is making a lot of money. (laughs) Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) because like the secondaries, if people don't know this, you submit your primaries through Amcas um, usually. Mm -hmm. And then your secondaries, you get either an email from the school for the school's portal. So you create an account for the school and you submit the money order after you submit your secondary for that school. Right. And so you're just hitting that credit card, your visa card so many times just for all the separate applications. It's really a lot to manage and juggle. Yeah. If AMCAS is the middleman, let's just cut him out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like submit your... Yeah, you know what? Maybe Texas is doing this right. That's what I'm wondering. Maybe Texas is correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, oh, oh my God, Sarah, what would we do? Because they, <laughs> because you have that's the primary. It's a centralized place. Yeah, because yeah, then you, you have, have to fill out multiple applications. Like maybe we got to convince them. But this we're is, we're going that. into a tangent, but maybe we got to convince them to all have the same primary. <laughs> so you just copy paste for each school you apply to, and then we get rid of Amcast. <laughs> I'm interested in talking about this more. If you are from AMCAS and would like to come on this podcast, I would like to talk to you. We'll be very nice, very civil, we promise. <laughs> no one's probably listening. I would to love to listen to that. No. <laughs> Put it out in the universe, AMCAS, please. I'm well, going to go to their contact info. I know. Well, I want to transition to our, our little game that I have. Would you rather... And they're college pre-med related and I tried to make them kind of fun. So I'm going to go ahead and like sing all of them and you guys tell me what you'd rather do. So first one, would you rather have your professor mistake you for another student every day or have your college mascot, Sparky, follow you around everywhere you go? I want Sparky. Yeah, me too. (laughs) That would be fun. Like that's not even... No you competition. just cheer me on. Yeah. Exactly. It would feel like I have like a built-in best friend that's just like tagging along everywhere. I know. He's a little creepy though. Like what if he creepily followed you around? Like he just appeared at random places and just let Sparky face. If you don't know what he looks like, Google him. He's Sparky ace you. Do you guys sad. know who Sparky is right now? No idea. Do you, did you know Do you? who the previous Sparky was? Is he your friend or something? Ooh, you gonna tell me? <laughs> She's throwing her hands up in the air. <laughs> I'm sworn to secrecy. Oh, <laughs> is it a, okay. Okay, it's one of those like you can't tell. They like they won't tell anybody or something. Yeah. Oh, really? They're like secretive about it. They don't want you to know. <laughs> they switch right. out Sparky every day. Yeah. Okay. This question's kind of stupid, but I'm still going to ask it. Would you rather have unlimited free coffee in the morning, but fall asleep during every lecture <laughs> or stay fully awake, but have to pay for every cup of coffee ever? But it's only during a lecture you fall asleep. Ooh. I think I'd rather have the free coffee. Really? I think I would stay That awake. would save me so much money. I know. I would just. You just can't go to lecture. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like lectures anyway. 
oh my gosh but would you have to pay for coffee that you make at home that's the question like you pay yourself for making your own coffee Ooh. it says just pay for coffee i didn't think that far (laughs) so no you can make your own coffee okay fine then i'll just make my own coffee okay okay would you rather attend a medical school where every or PA school where every exam question is based on medical themed dad jokes or a medical school with a resident class clown who pops out of nowhere during serious lectures to tell puns? The dad jokes. I would really, you don't the mind dad the jokes. clown. The clown just pops out of nowhere like, hey, guys, it's getting too serious in here. Wait, am I missing something? It sounds like these are the easiest exams ever. Okay, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. But what if they're like riddles? Oh. I love a good riddle. I would riddle all day long. (laughs) Okay, so you're going to go with the dad jokes? Yeah, I'm going dad jokes. All right, all right, I like it. (laughs) This is the theme from last time. Would you rather have a superpower that allows you to sleep only two hours a night and still feel refreshed? which would probably be essential for residency, but you randomly burst into medical-themed rap battles at work or have the ability to clone yourself during exams, but all your clones argue about the answers. <laughs> so you have battles. Where you're like, you can sleep, but you still feel refreshed, but then you randomly burst into rap or you have to like clone yourself during exams, but they all argue. All I've ever wanted in this life is to be able to function on no sleep. Yeah. So I don't care if I'm rap battling. That is what I want. (laughs) Can you imagine you're suturing somebody or you're like you're in surgery and you just break into a medical themed rap battle with a nurse or something? You gotta have to show a drainage up in this ER. (laughs) Kill it, Sarah. You would make a career out of rapping. Medical rap. Lexi's like, please stop talking. <laughs> I will say like the two hours a night and still for refresh. That's something I feel like I'm actually really worried about. Is that weird? No. Where even though residency is about five years away or whatever, having to sleep for so little hours to me oh. seems scary. I just really love sleep. But I guess I'll figure it out. <laughs> so I, f- I feel you. Like that's my biggest worry in the back of my head is like, yeah. I can barely function on like if I only get like five or four hours of sleep, but two hours of sleep, or if you have like 48 hour shifts or whatever, you're on call. I know. Like, I'm so scared. When I I shouted once this transplant surgeon and I was following around this like urology resident and I asked him, I was like, so like what's your work schedule like? And I died when he told me he works 120 hours a week. 17 hours a day, six to seven days a week. I was like, seven choice? I don't think so. (laughs) Oh my God. I would do that by choice. I think that's- There's some crazy people. I mean, he he did not seem happy when he told me that. Oh my gosh. I was like 17. So that that means you get like barely six hours of sleep a night. Because it takes me a while for him me to sleep at night is that an every week thing for him or was he like then off for two weeks I don't know he's a resident so I don't think oh he was a resident yeah I think it's different when you're an attendee but residency yeah I was like 
are you, I told, I asked him, I was like, so do you work like 80 hours a week? He was like, ha, hilarious. No, 120. I was like, okay, well, no, maybe not urology for me. We'll see. I'm actually quite interested in gen surge and I know that's like the worst one. So, oh, well. No, I could see you as a gen surgeon. Oh, thank you. You have the energy for it. You know, I'm (laughs) so excited to see you guys like in your fields and stuff. That's the most fun thing about like, I think being a pre-med is that you get to see like your friends who are pursuing this stuff, like achieve their goals or achieve what they want to do. And it's so cool. I love it all the time. It's like you're sorted into Hogwarts houses. Like you're a Gryffindor, but you're a general surgeon. You know what I mean? (laughs) A general surgeon would not be a Gryffindor. Definitely be a Slytherin or a Ravenclaw. A Ravenclaw, I think. I see Ravenclaw. Yeah. Mm. All right. Honestly, Lexi, you're giving me ideas. Like I'm just going to manifest this in the future, like that I'm getting interviews, but I'm totally using that in an interview. Like, like, how do you view medicine? Hogwarts. Hogwarts. Obviously, it's magical. Well, I'm pulling this, and I talked about this in a previous episode. It just blew my mind how this university had this program that basically did that. Like this medical school, University of Michigan Medical School. When their class comes in, you can join this program where you're basically sorted into Hogwarts houses, and you all compete throughout the year on like puzzles or Olympic-style games. And I was like, I would love that. I would beat everybody. Just kidding. She's not kidding. I love that. Like, I love the games, you know, it just makes it more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I'll ask a a couple more. Ooh. Would you rather have a personal cheerleading squad that follows you around campus, cheering for you every time you walk into a lecture, or have a team of tiny cartoon sidekicks that give you advice during exams? So, like, sidekicks. Like the sidekicks. 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 (laughs) Like angel and devil. Yeah. Yeah. Like the fairly Like Woody the Woodpecker and Tom and Jerry. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I would have the power back. Like coming into like lecture with like the cheerleading while you're late and you just like hear them in the background. (laughs) Can you imagine? Go go Danny. We love Danny. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Sarah, you really just need to. Have a singing career, you know, (laughs) killing it. I was a theater kid. Sometimes it shows. (laughs) We love and respect theater kids. Oh, we would fight the theater kids. Yeah, you would have bullied me if you knew me in high school, Lexi. I don't bully anybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. My boyfriend was a band geek, so I even even that for me. I walk into like the band at high school with my like sports jersey on. I'm like, you have a game today. What are you guys doing? Practicing your trombone? (laughs) Lame. (laughs) 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 I was not mean. Oh Oh my gosh. Okay. I have one more. This one's fun. I want this. Would you rather have a magical stethoscope that dances and sings during patient exams? Or a talking anatomy textbook that keeps cracking cheesy medical jokes when you open it. Hmm. A stethoscope that it's like it sings, right? Yeah. It's oh like is Can that gonna get in the way of hearing the heartbeat? Let's say no, it's magical. So in the stethoscope. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like you have a heart condition and the stethoscope sings the diagnosis. <laughs> it's cardiomyopathy. Oh my God. Yeah, no, that's rough. Tachycardia. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Oh my God. <laughs> Before we go, I do have like one more question for you, Danny. Since you are applying for MD PhD programs right now, I do want to ask you, like, how are they different than the MD applications? So you have an additional application. So you have to apply. It depends on the school, but for at least the first round, like the primaries, yeah, you select what PhD program that you want to be considered for. So like for me, that would be like clinical research or neuroscience. And so I just selected the programs that I would like to do for PhD. And then you have to submit two additional applications, one for um, what is your current, what research have you done? And how do you have experience in like your field? And how did you go through undergraduate and stuff? So um, if you have any publications or anything like that, you put that in that application. And Mm -hmm. then the other essay is on why PhD? Why do you want to do a PhD on top of a medical degree? Like, why is it important to you? What aspect of medicine do you want to work in? And why is it necessary for you to do a PhD, basically? So you're just answering that in that essay. So it's a separate personal statement, but you can go into more depth to build on your medical application, which I really enjoy. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, if you need any advice, I have a lot of MD-PhD students current that I know just through the Mm -hmm. organization. And we had Andres Diaz and Jonathan Sussman on recently who were both MD-PhD students talking about becoming healers and tackling misinformation. If you guys want to go check those out, they talked a little bit about their MD-PhD paths too, but happy to connect to you and if you have any questions. Yes, Yes, please. Like all the information (laughs) and resources I would love. I really, I really enjoy that. Okay. Awesome. Well, good luck with the application process. I know after this, I'm going to go work on my secondaries. (laughs) Yeah. I have to like submit three today is my goal, but yeah, good luck with everything and good luck as well with the MCAT. No, you just took it, but even though I took it when I took it, I did not feel over. (laughs) I don't know if you felt that way. I was just like, I still feel like I'm going through it. It feels over. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, you got this girl. You're like, the best pre-med I think I've ever known. <laughs> like one of the best uh, for sure. You're amazing. I, I always love hearing like your journeys and your stories. So I'm excited to see like what happens next year. Yeah. Same for you, girl. I love hearing about your story too. And I think your drive and your passion for research and your specific topic is just amazing and inspirational. And I would love to be you one day. I would love to be you. Oh, you guys are amazing. <laughs> This podcast was produced by Ari Rosenthal, Lorelai Edmonds, and Aditi Kalande. You can find our all of our events on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at National Pre-Health Community or MPHC 2020. And you can find our podcast. Go do it right now. Go to your phone and log into Instagram and follow us at PreHealthPod. And also find registration for all of our events at our website, nationalprehealthcomp.org. And if you liked our podcast, please like, leave a review, or tell one friend. Thanks for listening and see you next Monday.